All right. How many of you are are like me, and um, you dread this particular sound? Let me play it for you. Really, it just it just annoyed all of you right there. How many like that sound? You do. Some of you are just weird. You like that sound. That, that's that's the wake up call in the morning, especially if you're in a sound. Some of you, some 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 of you, just wake up like minutes before you know your alarm's going to go off, right? And you hear that. Some of you may have the nice alarms where it says "Wake up, good morning," right? That doesn't work. You need you need something to wake you up, right? So you know, I remember the day like you you go to a hotel or a motel and they had a wake up service where you could you know they're gonna you know call on the phone, some of you, whatever that thing is, it used to pick up and it had a cord to it. Remember that? You had a dial on it or push buttons. Um, and they would wake you up uh, in, in the morning. And uh, I, I, there was about a month ago, it's about four o'clock in the morning at our house, and um, our fire alarm went off. And it just went, it, it just goes, fire, fire. And so we're all in this sleep and, and I hear this fire, fire. And so I'm, I'm up and, and then just stopped. It, it, it didn't do it anymore. It just did it once. So I'm up and I'm scrambling around the house at four o'clock in the morning. And Kathleen is sound asleep. Just <laughs> nobody else is up. I'm like, wait a minute. This is not good. Um, we need to have, if there was a real fire, we need to have an exit strategy out of the house. Okay. And uh, it just, it, it, when something that wake-up call that just wakes you up in, 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 in the dead of night sometimes. I can remember our first trip, our missions trip to Guatemala. And, and the first night, we stayed right in Guatemala, uh, Guatemala City. And it was just, it was in a rough part of town. And I remember I was in a small room by myself, and the windows were open. You could hear gunshot things going. I mean, it was just crazy. And I remember falling asleep and waking up and not knowing where I was. Besides, I was curled in a fetal position, sucking my thumb, asking for my mommy. But besides that, everything else is... But it's just those, those times you just get woken up, that, that you get surprised. And what we're going to be doing over the next couple of months is we're going to be looking into the book of Revelation, specifically Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And, and I believe these are some of the most important chapters in the book of Revelation. I know for some of you, you're like, man, I love studying end times. Can we, can we study more about that? Go to the adult Sunday school class on Sunday morning. They're, they're, studying, they're studying that too. Um, but you can read the book of Revelation yourself. And I know sometimes we get so caught up in, in the end times, like what's going to happen and how's everything going to unfold. But let me say this. What's most important is what we're doing here and now. What are we doing with the knowledge and the commandments that Jesus has given the church today. And so what, what Jesus does is he gives, he gives the, 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 the apostle um, the, these, this, this letter, this, this, these words to write to the church. And basically, this letter of Revelation, it's, it's a wake-up call to the church to, to not grow lackadaisical in your walk with me. And I think every single one of us need a wake-up call in our lives once in a while. And, and how many of you know that life brings wake-up calls? Maybe there's a sudden death or a sudden job loss or something that just blindsided you that you didn't know about. And all of a sudden, it just kind of wakes you up to reality of what's really going on. And Jesus loves his church so much that he does not want his church to fall asleep in the light. 
He doesn't, he doesn't want his church to get comfortable. And it's easy for us and all of us, and I'm including myself here, just to get comfortable with stuff. Just to take things for granted. And Jesus doesn't want us to take things for granted. And I believe that these words that Jesus gives us is just a wake-up call. It's, it's easy for us to get comfortable. Comfortable with maybe wrong behaviors or wrong attitudes. And, and we can live with, with acting in a wrong way because either no one maybe points it out to us or we refuse to listen. But familiarity is a dangerous thing because familiarity just breeds contempt. And and being too familiar with something can actually be harmful to us. We can take things for granted and and, and it it can actually lose their meaning. This can happen in our marriages. It can happen in church. It can happen with our walk with God. It can happen in our relationships. And I know maybe there's some of you here today that that maybe you've even had that conversation or relationship where where you just said, I just feel like you're taking me for granted. Maybe, maybe a mom feels that way with her kids. You know, I just feel like I'm, you know, a servant and, and I feed you and I just clean, clean the house and, and that's it. That conversation has never happened in our house, by the way, but I'm lying. Um, you, you, you just feel like you're, you're being taken for granted. Uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus gives this wake-up call to the churches um, in, in Asia Minor. And out of these seven churches, five needed a wake-up call. And so let me, give you the, let me give you the background here before we jump into Revelation chapter 2 this morning. Let me give you a little background of, of the book of Revelation. The, 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 how this whole book came about was through the Apostle John. And he is exiled to the island of Patmos because of his, his testimony and his witness for Christ. The island is, is a very remote island in modern-day Turkey, off the, off the coast of modern-day Turkey, between modern-day Turkey and Greece and the Aegean Sea. And the island was used by Rome for convicts. And so John is there, and John gets this revelation from Christ. It's here that John gets this revelation, and he's actually to write it down. Now, once again, let me just say this. It's easy for us to get caught up in end times events, which we should understand. However, I want to put a big emphasis on however. It's easy to get caught up in trying to figure out all the end times things. We know one thing is for sure that Jesus Christ is coming back. And we need to be ready as a church and we shouldn't be ignorant. But the responsibility of us is for the here and now. It's interesting when Jesus, when when the disciples would try to pose the question of of end times and what's going to happen, he would seem to always turn it back around to evangelism. And I think that's a good course for us to take here today that we make sure that we're, we're being faithful with the call that Christ has called on our hearts and lives as the church of Jesus Christ. So the outline for the book of Revelation can actually be found in Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 19, where John is told to write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. So write, therefore, what you have seen, what is, what is now, and he's going to be speaking about that when he speaks about Two, when Jesus speaks to the seven churches in Asia Minor and what will take place later. And then, as you know, as you read further through um, the book of Revelation, we can see what's going to uh, come about in these last days. And let me just say this. We are living in the last days. And there are things that are happening all around us 
that are showing us that we indeed are living in the last days. So let me show you a map here. Here's a map that just kind of shows you the seven churches that Jesus is speaking to in Asia Minor. Uh, much has been made about these two chapters, saying that the seven churches are maybe seven different dispensations of period in church history. But here's the thing that we do know absolutely. These are seven literal churches that John writes about. And we know that we can see in other places in scriptures, churches started by the Apostle Paul. Uh, we know that these are actual churches that Jesus is speaking to in Asia Minor. These churches are very symbolic of the very thing that we can fall victim to also as a church living in 2018. That's why these words are just as relevant to us today as they were then. And so what is the message that God is trying to say to these seven churches? So the first church I want to look at as we go through uh, the book of Revelation chapter 2 is the church in Ephesus. So if you've got your Bibles, you can look at the screen, whatever device you got to turn the word of God open, please do that. And we're going to look at Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. And once again, this is Jesus speaking specifically to the church in Ephesus, and this is uh, Jesus' recommendation. This is what Jesus sees that's going on in the church, and he's going to critique the church, the things they're doing right, and the things that they're doing wrong. And so to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Pastor, what in the world does that mean? We're going to look at that in just a moment. So don't get caught up there just a minute. We're going to look at that because it is explained for us in chapter 1. Verse 2, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. You have found them false. You have preserved and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Sounds like a great church, doesn't it? It's exactly what the church should be doing. Coming against false doctrine, not growing weary, uh, weary, persevering, um, uh, you know, uh, persevering through persecution. But verse 4, he says, but yet this I have against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the heights from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitan, Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So before we jump into these verses and dig, and dig into this and what Jesus is saying, let me give you a little background of the city of Ephesus, because this is very important for us under, to understand what Jesus speaks to the church, and what's going on in Ephesus. Now, now Ephesus, it, it was a port city at the time. The water's kind of receded now, but 2,000 years ago, it actually was a, a, a port city, very wealthy, due to the fact being close to the water and a major exporting city. This made the city very, very diverse, and during this time, it had almost a, a quarter of a million people living there. It was the fourth largest city in the known world at the time. The Apostle Paul started, started the church here. And, and one of the key features in Ephesus 
was the temple dedicated to Artemis. I'm going to show you a picture of this. Um, incredible, incredible uh, temple here. Artemis was the Greek goddess of fertility, hunting, and childbirth. The temple is one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And the city, here's why this is so important, because this was such a foundation for this city that the city actually took notice when people stopped worshiping Artemis. This was a major center of worship. This was ingrained within the culture. And all of a sudden they see this group of people that stopped doing this, which were mandated to do, and actually started worshiping Christ. And what we have for us in scriptures is actually riots broke out in the city Because it disrupted their idol-making business. And so once it got into the pockets of people, there became this big uproar. So we see Christians here that are not bowing to the pagan gods of their culture. the, The Christians, the church, is actually standing out. The church was actually making a difference where people started to take notice. And because of that... There is persecution. We, we know this because Acts 19, 28, 29 tells us. That there, there's, there's these two guys, Gaius and Aristarchus. There, there's these two gentlemen who, who begin to, to, to create this uproar in Ephesus. And, and the scriptures tell us that they heard this. Uh, they were furious. They began shouting. They began to say, great is Artemis of, of the Ephesians. That's the God. That, that's what they shout out. But all of a sudden... The city was in an uproar because, because people seized these two gentlemen, Paul's traveling companions, Gaius and Aristarchus. And all of a sudden, they have to rush because they're being persecuted. So we know that this church is making a difference. They're coming against the culture of their time. But there was another thing that was very interesting in Ephesus that caused Christians to stand out from their culture. In Ephesus, there was actually a garbage dump. And it was there, this horrible, horrific thing that would happen, that they could actually leave children there and, 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 and if, if the parents didn't want the child. And as a result, the child would die from exposure. And, and, and in fact, in the culture in Ephesus, this was actually an accepted practice. And what Christians began to do in Ephesus, they began to adopt these unwanted children. And so what we actually see is the church that Paul started actually stood out in this culture. That's why you can see the words of Jesus where he says, you did persevere. You came against the culture. There was persecution that that you came against, that you stood in the face of. So we see Jesus' words of commendation for what they were doing right. The question is this, what happened? What happened to their love and sacrifice that caused Jesus to point out something that they were missing greatly that they needed to repent from? Why was Jesus concerned with them losing their first love? Because on the outside, the church looked like it was doing everything correct. But Jesus is concerned with them for losing their first love. So let's look at chapter, let's look at, at, at chapter two, verse one, and let's kind of break this down. And let's see what Jesus says here. Jesus says to the angel, the church in Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now who holds, who holds the seven stars? 
Who, who, who walks among the seven goldsmiths? It's Jesus. So we know that he has all authority here. So, so what does all this mean? What are the seven stars? What are the, the seven golden lampstands? Well, Revelation chapter 1, verse 20 answers it for us. It says this. It says, The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So the seven lampstands are the churches, but notice once again, who holds the churches. Jesus does. And as the church, we are to be a lampstand within our community. We are to be a light that people take notice that there's something different about us. The seven angels are these messengers. Now, it can be interpreted a couple different ways as heavenly messengers or actually earthly messengers, such as the pastors or the leaders of these churches. But I want you to notice once again what Jesus says here. Jesus says, who holds them? Who is ultimately in control? Jesus. Jesus is head of the church. Now, look at what Jesus first says concerning the church. He says this. He goes, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know that you have casted out false teachers, that you endured hardship for me and you didn't grow weary. And this just sounds like a great church. This church has sound doctrine. They don't put up with false teaching. They don't tolerate wickedness. They, they endure persecution for Christ. This was the strength of the church in Ephesus. It was their knowledge. They were pumped up with knowledge. They knew their doctrine. They knew to stand firm in these areas. Jesus even said, listen, you didn't even put, uh, put up with the Nicolaitans. You hated their practices, as did I. And, and this particular group, uh, from what we know, is that there was this mixture of Christianity and pagan practices. And so the, the Ephesians, we're not going to put up with this mixture of, of paganism and and, and Christianity. Some scholars believe that the Nicolaitans were actually, because uh, the word actually means to conquer the people. And many scholars believe that they were the ones that started this clergy laity gap, which means um, there was a gap between uh, those that, that attended the church and the leaders within the church. And there, there became this gap between the two that the leaders began to usurp their authority over the congregation without without each serving each other. The, the pastor was to lead and feed and, and direct the convert congregation as he worked side by side with them for the sake of Christ. It became these titles and authority and began to usurp their authority over the people of God. And this became very corrupt over time. So what Jesus tells him, he says, you've done these things very well. But he says, however, in verse 4, he says, but I have this against you. And the words here in the ESV version actually say that you've abandoned the love you had at first. What in the world does that mean? They've actually abandoned, which means they've left it. They left the love they had at first. What happened to the church in Ephesus? This church on the outside that seems like it's doing so well. What happened? Well, the church lost sight of their first love. They lost sight of it. In fact, they left it. And I, and I want to dig into this 
Because I, I want us to be very careful because I believe this is the tone. This is, this is the foundation for all the rest of the messages over the next couple of months. See, the church lost loving Jesus as its actual first priority. So what, what does that mean? Because here, here's the problem we have. Um, when we become very intellectual, we can put our finger on something. This is what this means. Black, white, black, white, black, white. You know, this is what this means. When we begin to talk about love, it's a little bit more subjective. What do you mean, Pastor? Are you going to start getting lovey-dovey, right? It's going to start getting a little mushy. I got to have the truth. Just give me the truth. We're we're going to, let's not worry about the love thing. We got to make sure that we're walking in the truth. But how much know there's this balance of truth and love? And the Ephesians church got the truth, but there was no love. The love part is what tanks us. If Christ does not have our heart, if I'm not compelled to know more about Jesus because of my love for him, it just becomes an intellectual pursuit and meaningless. And let me just be honest with you. For many Christians, I believe their walk with Christ is an intellectual pursuit without love. You can see it in the way they treat people. You can see it in the way they love the world. It becomes very black and white, black and white, and I don't care, I'm going to give them the truth, and that's all that matters, and I don't care if I offend everybody. Time out. Boop. we got to watch our hearts here, people. we got to be careful the way we yell at our TV sets when we don't see things the way we, we want them to go. we got to be careful. We can shout all we want through social media about what we don't like, And we can spout all our truth and tell people, well, check out this YouTube channel for blah, 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 blah. And then it causes this huge division and riff and there's no love behind it. Can I get an amen? Okay. I hope that stuck somewhere, including myself. Okay. So Jesus says you've lost your first love and and, and you've left it for just knowing me through knowledge, through intellect. So from the outside, it would seem like this is a very strong church. And so what Jesus does is he knows what's going on. So Jesus kind of acts like the undercover boss. You ever saw that show? The, the, the CEO of the company goes and works as one of the workers in, in his company or her company to see what's really going on behind the scenes. And usually it's just a huge eye opener for this boss to see really what's going on and the culture that this company has has created it's created so jesus kind of acts like this undercover boss he sees what's going on he says i see what you're doing i see the good things but he says listen i i i don't think the church in ephesus was actually trying to be unloving i think the church thought that they were trying to do the right thing but what happened is this they became more in love with their doctrine and knowledge than with jesus They were more in love with being right than being in love with Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying, he goes, listen, he he commended them for it. It's not that strong doctrine and having correct teaching that we need to stand on for the truth and the word of God, that it's an error and that it's perfect and that we need to uh, cultivate all our teachings around the word of God and believe that this is our ultimate authority. That is, 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 is supreme in our church. But Jesus is saying, Your love for me has been replaced. You've abandoned it for something else. And actually what Jesus is saying to the church in Ephesus is this. He 
He's saying, you're doing church without me. You're saying, well, can we do that, Pastor? Yeah, we could do church without Jesus. We could be nice to people and just keep doing what we're doing. And, but is our, is our heart for Jesus, is, is our heart to glorify him? See, this is so important for us to understand. I can read my Bible all day long, know all the things to say, have all my beliefs straight, and argue with anyone who tries to come against me. But if we lose sight of what's most important, and if we lose sight for our love for one another and love for the world, we've missed the heart of Jesus. See, the sad part with this whole thing is that we can think that we're holy or that we're right and yet be so far from God. And this, was, this is the exact thing that happened to the church in Ephesus. And so this was the wake-up call to the church to return to what you did at first. You were motivated by my love at first. Now, I, I don't know about some of you, if you can remember when you first became a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you remember how new that was? It's like, you wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. You, you'd be in the grocery store and you'd be like, hey man, do you know Jesus? He loves you so much, right? You just had this passion to, and everybody just thought you were goofy for Jesus. Remember that? And, and you just had this insatiable desire just to want to know him because you saw how he changed your heart. And then what happens, what happens over time, right? It just becomes mundane sometimes. And we lose that passion for God. The, the, the one thing that I don't like about going to the dentist, among many other things, but it's getting Novocaine. I know you have to get it because I don't, I, you know, you don't want to feel what they're doing there, but you get Novocaine and, and I hate that feeling of my face being numb, right? And because you can't drink and if you drink water just dribbles down you and you, you bite your lip and you just that weird feeling that you just can't feel um, your face. You just, and you just can't wait. And then when it starts wearing off, it's all tingly and, and so on and so forth. And I never listen. They say, no, don't drink water for blah, blah. And I never listen. I say, well, I can do it with a straw. And then sure enough, it, you know, whatever. So um, it, it can happen with our faith, can it? You know, I, 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 we, we, we can say that I've been a Christian for so many years. Give me something new. I, I've been coming to the church for so many years. I need something more. See, without even knowing it, we can become numb to the things of God. And what we end up looking for are these cheap exterior things to bolster our Christian walk again. Let me just share this with your past, as your pastor. When we become tired of hearing the gospel message, something is wrong with our hearts. I believe that we need to, the basis of our church is the gospel message to be gospel-centered in everything we do. What does that mean? That means we keep looking back to Jesus, that he died for our sins, that he forgave us of our sins, that he rose from the grave, that because he forgave us, we need to be, be, we need to be forgiving others. When I lose sight of that, I stop becoming gospel-centered and I begin to chase other things. Why? Because we get bored with it. And what Jesus was saying, you got bored with me. You started chasing all these other pursuits, which are not bad pursuits, but you chase them over me. 
I wasn't behind those things. That's you doing it. And, that, and, that, and, that, and that's a very bad place to be in our walk with Jesus. See, we, we, we can sit in the pew, we can, become, we can become critical and numb, and we may justify our feelings this way by saying, well, I read my Bible every day, I come to church every week, I'm entitled so I can complain. And this is, this is what Jesus is talking about. See, what grew the church in Ephesus was their radical love for Jesus and how they actually lived it out in their city. Okay. So what does Jesus tell them? And how do we keep living word from becoming numb to the love of Christ and us being motivated by the love of Christ? What does Jesus tell them? What, well, he, this is what he tells them. He reminds them to think about how far they have fallen and to return to what they did at first. Return to what you did at first. Remind them how far they've fallen. Remember what, what we have lost. What, what, do, what do we need to do to cultivate that right relationship again? Repent from my waywardness. Repent, and, and repentance is just a change of mind. And return to go back to what you did at first. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, what are the things that I've gotten away from? I think what keeps our hearts tender before the Lord and the love of, of Jesus Christ, the church can be a great place because we come together, we worship together, and we need each other. We grow together. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We, we need each other. But the flip side of the church, we can tend to fuel each other with some negative stuff too, if we're not careful. Like we say, us four, no more. Look at the world, us against them. And then we end up looking at the world as our enemy and not a world that Jesus died for. Here's, here's where we, here's where we, here's, I believe, where, where we can get unstuck in this area and, and not allow our hearts to, to wax over and grow cold towards the love of Jesus. I believe as a church, when we continually reach out to our community, it rekindles the love of Jesus in our own hearts. Amen. See, when we do outreaches and in, in school supply events and trunk or treat events and angel tree and go on missions, all these other things that we do, or, or just the people in your neighborhood, your next door neighbor, and, and you continue to pray for them and, you continue to reach out, out to them. I remember one time, you know, I've, I've driven from my house to the church over the 18 years. I don't know, like 10,000 times. I don't know. It was just been so many times. And, and you get, have you ever driven somewhere and you're like, how did I get here? I don't remember stopping at the stop sign. I don't remember, did I go through the red light? I don't remember that because you're so used to that particular drive that you just become like oblivious to everything. And I can remember one time I was driving to church and I was driving for the eighth millionth time and there was a house I never noticed before. Now, I, you'd think going down Ridge Road back in Vermont that I would know every single house ever. And there's this house I, 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 I didn't remember. I go, what? And I was just thinking to myself, geez, I've never seen that house before. That is the weirdest thing. I've been here a million times. I've never seen that house. And here's what I felt the Lord speak to my heart. The Lord said, I know that house. 
And what it did to my heart, say, Barden, why don't you pray as you go down the street? When, when you jog around your neighborhood, instead of just trying to get through your jog and listen to your podcast and the 25 different podcasts and the different pastors and leaders, why don't you pray for those houses? See, that's what breaks our heart from the mundaneness and becoming numb to the things around us. I want my heart to break just like the things that break the Lord's heart, that he sees lost and dying humanity that needs a savior. And so that's my question to you today. Let's be careful of our attitudes. Let's fall in love with Jesus all over again. And, and we, here's the, here's the litmus test of knowing that your heart is being tender towards the Lord. Are you allowing unforgiveness to take over your heart? Is there bitterness? Honestly, ask your spouse. The things that are coming out of my mouth, are they primarily negative? Or am I saying things that are, are positive or contributes to the conversation? Can I, if you can become that vulnerable before a friend or a spouse and just say, you know what, because I, I don't even see it sometimes. I may not even see it. But what is coming out? Is it just like every time we talk or whatever, is it just negative, negative, negative? That could easily be a sign of a heart that's growing close growing cold towards the love of Christ. And I know that too, because I'll ask Kathleen, i say, Kathleen, is, and she'll say, yeah, Barton, you, you, you're, you're pretty negative today. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> she says, you're pretty defensive today. No, I'm not. That's offensive. What are you talking about? I'm fine. I love people. We get that way, don't we? And I think it's good just to, just to, just to bounce that off someone else. Because Jesus loves us so much, he doesn't want us to stay there. Jesus is not trying to put his thumb on this church and say, look how bad all of you are. Jesus loves the church. And that's why Jesus brings correction to us and the church. So here's the takeaway. And then we're just going to close in song and just, and just let Christ touch our hearts today as we close the service. Here's the takeaway. What is one thing that you can do to begin to restore what was lost in your life. And maybe there's something that's lost. Maybe it's your passion for Christ. Maybe there's something, you know, that you're just like, yeah, I, I've just, my, my passion for Jesus just isn't there. And allow Christ to rekindle that thing. And maybe it's just consistency in your life. Maybe it's consistency in your, in your, in your, Bible reading and your in your just your alone time with Jesus or just consistency at church. Maybe just the consistency, like, yeah, I just need to be more consistent and I need to have that time with Jesus. I, I, I really need to pray for my neighbors and you know, I want God to grip my heart for these things and just kind of just bother me. Just bother me, Jesus. Because I don't want my heart to grow cold towards you. So in our pursuit to know Christ in his word, which we need to do, we need to be solid in what we believe. Let us not lose the love of Christ. That's 
the most important thing. That's the thing that should fuel everything else in my life. My Bible reading, wanting to know sound doctrine, my love for Jesus should fuel all those other things. And when my love for Jesus is at the foundation of all those other things, all those other things will be placed in the right priority. So the more you love Jesus, the more you will have his heart, the more I will love people, and the more I'll be willing to forgive. Father God, I just pray today that we would grab your heart today. Lord, I just only... Only you, through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can, can, can speak and convict our hearts to, to where we need to be corrected. And I just pray today for your church that, God, we would realign ourselves once again to your love. That, God, we wouldn't forget of the world that's around us. I, I know there's a lot of bad stuff happening in our world. There's a lot of things that don't line up with what we believe. We see that it was no different in Jesus' time. It was no different for the church in Ephesus, but they made a difference. They stood their ground for you. But as they did that, their love for you fell away. They abandoned the things they did at first. So Lord, I pray that, that you would draw us back to our first love. That Jesus, you would be priority in our life. It's all about you. And then all our other pursuits for you will be in correct alignment. So Jesus, just speak to our hearts here today. I thank you for loving us in spite of all the things we do and the mistakes we make. Thank you for your gracious love today. You are an amazing God. And you are perfect in all your ways. And I pray as we close in song today, this would be our prayer. As we lift up your wonderful name, as we lift up you, Jesus, reestablish our relationship with you again. And if there's anyone here that has not started that relationship with you, Jesus, you're just waiting for them to come. And you will heal and restore and forgive us of our sins. So may we come to you today, Jesus. And just know and feel your love and live that love out in our lives each and every day. So we thank you for your word. And we just ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's close in song. Let's just sing this to Jesus today and thank him for his love and his grace. Amen. God bless you. Just sing this to the Lord.